Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. Daniel, nice job in that song, man. I don't think my fingers could actually move that fast, so even if I knew what I was doing. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Well, I'm glad to see you this morning. Thank you for being here because it would be hard to preach if you weren't here, so just saying, all right? But uh, good to see you guys. Uh, we're, we're in this summer series, There's No Place Like Home, and uh, it, it, it kind of creates an opportunity for us uh, to uh, talk about what home is like for us, what, uh, how we feel, and we all sort of come with a different feeling, uh, a different view of home. I, I'm, I'm an introvert, and so home has always been a retreat center for me. Uh, I used to tell people that if I can go home, my wife loves me, the boys are good, I'm fine. Whatever else is going on, I can just retreat from that. I can uh, get a little bit of refreshment and, and, and uh, uh, you know, and strength from just being at home, and, and that was always been, that's always still to this day an important thing for me, but some, I, I recognize that for some people, you don't have great memories of home necessarily. Maybe home was a hard place for you. Uh, and yet there's, there's still within us, when we talk about no place like home, there's still this, this idea, almost a longing for what it feels like to go home uh, to a safe place, uh, to a place where you're known and, and you're accepted and you're loved. And, 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 and so whether or not that's your experience, there's still a longing in all of us for a place like that, and, and, uh, and so Jesus talked about that some. In fact, in, in Matthew 8, 20, Jesus said something really interesting to some people. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus is saying in the, in, during his ministry that he was homeless, uh, that he didn't have a home, that, that when he would go to Capernaum, he would, he would stay at Peter's house, or he, you know, he would stay with somebody. When he would go to Jerusalem, when he would go to, uh, on his travels, he would always stay with somebody because Jesus never owned a home, that he never equated that, that he had a different home, and, and he communicated to us in a lots of different ways what that home might look like, and one of the ways he did that is in John 14, he said, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in the Father, believe also in me. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. In verse three, that uh, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So here's what Jesus was saying, that I am going away and I'm gonna prepare a place for you and I'll come back and get you that where I am, you may be also. So it, when we think about home, Think about this, that maybe this longing that we have on the inside isn't for a place, but it's for a person. That the longing that we feel for real home is really a longing to be with Jesus. That we'll never be completely content, we'll never have completely have arrived until the day we're with Jesus. That that's the ultimate goal, that's the ultimate destination. It's not about a place, but it's about a person and it's about being with Jesus. 
Now the, that, that's going to give particular significance to the story that we're going to uh, talk about together today. And, and this is a story out of the book of Acts, and the 12th chapter. So we're just going to jump into it and uh, let the scripture speak to us. Uh, here's what it said. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also, and this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made uh, to God by the church. So we have this scene, uh, Herod, uh, and, and you know, when you hear Herod, you're kind of, there, there were four specific Herods. There was Herod the Great, that was the one that commanded all the firstborn children when Jesus was a baby, based on, on what he had heard, to, to be killed. That was Herod the Great, he was the first one. Then there was uh, Herod Antipas, and then there was Herod, uh, who was Agrippa the first, and then Agrippa the second. This story is about Herod Agrippa the second. He was a political animal. He, he used, he, he leveraged his friendship with the Emperor Claudius of Rome uh, to get a, a territory to become uh, a Herod, become a king in, in, in Judah. And he actually, through his friendship with the king, was able to expand his responsibility, expand his territories till it was almost as big as, as his grandfather, Herod the Great. And so he was very powerful. He, um, he, his mother was uh, a Jewish, and so he had that ancestry. So when he got to Jerusalem, he went out of his way to, to try uh, to please the Jews, to try to help them, to make them see him as an advocate, as a help, because part of his job was to keep the peace. Part of his job was to, to, to keep the peace between the Israelites and, and the Romans, and so he wanted to do everything he could to make that relationship good. So in doing that, he got James, James the brother of John, James one of the sons of thunder, James who was one of the three intimates of Jesus, that when Jesus um, went to the garden, he took Peter and James and John with him uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter and James and John with him, that he was part of some of the most important events in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He was one of the three closest, most intimate followers of Jesus, and he is killed by the sword. And it must have sent this young church reeling. It must have almost felt impossible that why didn't God save him? This is James. This is one of the, the three friends of Jesus. Um, his brother John called himself the one whom Jesus loved. This is how they felt about Jesus, and now he's killed. And I'm sure that it caused great anguish and pain and fear in the church. And it says that Herod Agrippa I saw that this pleased the people, and so he arrested Peter as well. And it doesn't say he just arrested him, but it says they seized him, 
and they put him in jail, but it was coming up to the Passover. And if you read the passage, you'll see it says Passover and unleavened bread. And by the first century, those two celebrations, those two feasts had virtually merged. So it was a a feast, a, a celebration that went for seven days and it had this idea of the Passover, which most of you are familiar with, and unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is a really interesting feast because part of what they would do is they would remove every speck of leaven from their homes, that they would sweep, they would dust, uh, they, would, they would throw away, and they, would, they made their bread without leaven so it wouldn't rise, and leaven was associated with sin uh, in the Old Testament, and so they had this feast where they would go through their homes and, and symbolically remove every bit of sin, every bit of leaven from their home to make their hearts right with God, and so it's in the middle of this, ironically, that Peter's arrested. And what, what Herod was gonna do is the soon, the day after the feast is over, the day after everything finishes, there will be a trial and an execution of Peter. And so when we come to the scene, it was the very night before that trial and execution would happen. Uh, There were 16 soldiers. They typically did three-hour shifts. So if you get a picture of this, uh, there's there's soldiers chained to to Peter, one on each side. There's soldiers at various doors, and and at three-hour shifts, they would uh, be released, and, and more soldiers would come and take their place, and that would go on. This would be called maximum security in in Peter's day, in the first century. That, that Herod wanted to make sure that Peter didn't get away. He wanted to make sure that these guards didn't get overpowered, so he, he went overkill uh, on the guards. And, and, and if you think about prison, if you think about a jail cell, don't think about what we have today, which isn't pleasant, but think about a cave. Think about a dark place with no windows, uh, no bathroom, uh, nothing that we would consider you know, remotely sanitary. That's where they threw him, chained to the guards. I'm sure the guards were a little bit rougher on Peter just because they had to be there with him. That would bother me. And so Peter is in this jail cell. And the last thing that happens in this first part of the passage is it says the church prayed. The church prayed, and it says they prayed earnestly for him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the word earnest, I think that kind of means sincere, and it's, you know, good thoughts. But if you were, if you were in the new, reading the New Testament in the Greek, you would know that this is a really strong word, that in fact, this word is so strong that it's the word used for Jesus' prayer when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, that he, it said, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so this earnest prayer was a prayer of agony. It was a prayer of intensity. It was giving everything that you had to God, asking God to answer, asking God for something. And so they were praying with that kind of intensity, with that kind of fervor, that God would do something. They had lost James. They can't lose Peter. God, you have to do something. So they're praying with that sort of intensity. Now there's another, prayer, there's another place that they, that word is used as well that I just couldn't help myself, I threw in. Um, and, and that's out of 1 Peter 4.8. So this is Peter's story. So I thought it would be appropriate to share how he uses the word earnestly. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
love one another with that same kind of fervor, that same kind of intensity that was modeled by Jesus in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's how he wants us uh, to love each other. That's a pretty powerful idea. Well, let's read what happens next in Acts 12, starting in verse 6. It says, when Herod was about to bring him out, so it's the night before he's going to be tried and executed, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So let me just stop there for a quick sec, um, because I highlighted this. Peter was sleeping. Seriously. Okay, think about this. James has been killed. He's been run through by a sword. He, he's been martyred. He's been executed. Uh, it, it, it was, he's one of Peter's very closest friends. He's a symbol of the early church. He's been executed. Peter is seized by soldiers. He's thrown into jail. He's chained to two soldiers. He knows that the next day, all the, the feasts are over, the next day he is going to be presented before Herod, and it is just a foregone conclusion that he will be convicted and he will be killed. And so what does he do the night before? He sleeps. All right, I don't know, what, what, do you, what would you do? You know, crying, uh, trying to light a, write a letter with, you know those chains were roughly about 15 pounds? Uh, so, you know, to write your last will and testament would be a little tough. Um, but Peter slept. And here is, here's what I think, that this wasn't Peter's home, that he believed the words of Jesus. The resurrected Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also, that the story doesn't end here, that this isn't what defines you, but what defines you is that in, that's ultimately you're going to be with me. That's the real goal. That's the real home. And so in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of all of the pain, all of the anguish, all of everything else that's going on, Peter is asleep in his cell. I bet you money that the guards weren't sleeping. They were miserable. Peter's asleep in his cell. All right. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side. Peter, wake up, and saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So I'm going to stop there, and just this other little phrase um, that we had where he says, get up, um, was on the one before. He said, there we go. He said, get up quickly. Uh, it wasn't because the angel was necessarily afraid of getting caught. It was that Peter sound asleep, and he wakes him up. He punches him in the side. He says, Peter, come on, get up quickly. Don't, don't lay there. Peter might have been pulling his cloak over his head saying, come on, just a couple of more minutes, all right? He might have been looking, he was feeling for the snooze button because he was sound asleep. And the angel says, come on, get up, let's go. And then he has to tell him, Peter, get dressed. Seriously, Peter's, you know, he's rubbing his eyes. He's been sound asleep because he's such, he trusts in God more than his circumstances. He trusts in the resurrected Jesus more than the place that he finds himself. And so the angel has to wake him up and say, let's go. Let's get out of here. 
the chains have fallen off. And so he went out, verse 9 says, he, he went out and he followed him, followed the angel, and he did not know uh, what was being done by the, uh, by the angel. And he didn't know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Maybe I'm dreaming. And when he passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord, and they went out, and they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now, I love this because it says that the gates opened of their own accord. The, the Greek word there is automete, and it, we get the word automatic, right? Uh, it, was, it was automatically. It opened on its own. They walk up. This is no Jedi mind trick. He walks up and the gates open for him, and they walk out into the city. And Peter's still trying to, he's still a little bit groggy. I love that, it reminds me of me. And they went out, they went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when, the, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all uh, that the Jewish people were expecting. And here's one thing, when he talks, when they use that language about the Jewish, they're referring to the Jewish leaders. They're referring to the leadership of the Jews who, who, who hated this new young Christian movement that they felt like was taking people away, that was breaking their uh, history and their heritage. Uh, it was the same kind of uh, outrage that they had had against Jesus, and now it's being uh, placed on these, um, these the early church, the, early, the Christians. And so Peter came to himself, and now the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Um, he moves on from there. He was facing execution. He was facing certain death. Peter's sleeping, an angel comes and rescues him. And, and there's, a, there's a great old hymn that m most of you are familiar with, uh, And Can It Be? It was written by Charles Wesley in 1738, and here's what it says. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That was inspired by the story in Acts 12. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And this is, the, this is one of the early allusions that we have to the idea that there's something happening here that's not just about Peter in a jail cell, but it's about us. It's about our hearts. Uh, that, that the scripture talks about that when we are in sin, we are bound in our sin. Uh, that when we're separated from God, that we're in chains uh, to, the, to the, the challenges of our lives, to the sin in our lives, to the things that hold us back, to the things that we fear, the things that we feel bad about, all of those things. And he says that when Christ comes in, our chains fell off. When Christ enters into our lives, our chains fall off, our heart is free, we can rise and follow Jesus Charles Wesley put that in beautiful terms. There's another great story about uh, a man named Sundar Singh. Uh, in the 1920s, he was a Sikh, and uh, in and around Tibet, he um, he had this miraculous experience with Jesus, and left his Sikh religion uh, to to the extent that he was disowned by his family, and began to tell people about Jesus. And hundreds and hundreds of people responded to his message and responded to the gospel through Sundar Singh uh, to the point that he became such a threat uh, that one day uh, the uh, a Tibetan leader had him arrested 
and had him thrown into uh, an empty well. And they placed, um, it was the chief lama of the Tibetan community. He was thrown into a dry well. The cover uh, was put on the well and it was securely locked and he was left there to die. So imagine, because he's talking about Jesus, um, he throw, he's thrown into this dry well. When he lands, he probably breaks his arm, he severely hurts his arm because he lands on the bones uh, and remains of others who have been thrown into this well and left to die. They put a lid on the well, they lock it, and they leave him there to die. And what does Sundar Singh do? He prays. On the third night, when he had been calling to God in prayer, he heard someone unlocking the cover of the well and removing it. And then a voice spoke, telling him to take hold of the rope that was being lowered. He did so. This is how specific the story is. He did so uh, and was glad to find a loop at the bottom of the rope in which he could place his foot, uh, for his arm had been injured before he was thrown down. He was drawn up, and then the cover was replaced and, the lo and locked. But when he looked around to thank his rescuer, he found no trace of him. The air revived him and his injured arm felt whole again. When morning came, he returned to the place where he had been arrested and resumed preaching. News was brought to the chief lama that the man who had been thrown into the execution well had been liberated and was preaching again. Sundar Singh was brought before him and questioned, and he told the story of his release. The lama declared that someone must have gotten a hold of the key and let him out, but when the search was made for the key, it was found attached to the belt of the Lama. And God rescued Sundar Singh. God rescued Peter from jail. Look at verse Acts 12, verse 12. It says this, when he realized this, when Peter came to himself, kind of fully woke up, and he, and he realized that, uh, that God had rescued him, he went to the house of Mary, the, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. <laughs> And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love this scene. There's just a little New Testament comedy. You gotta appreciate it, right? So Rhoda goes to the door. She's there's knocking at the door. She's a little servant girl. She's there helping out, uh, undoubtedly a believer. And she goes um, to the door, uh, the gate, and, and she recognizes Peter's voice, that it's Peter saying, hey, can I come in? Would you, guys, would you open the door? And she's so excited. She's a teenager. Have you ever heard, seen this happen? She's a teenager. She's so excited. She's just, she, it's Peter. And rather than letting Peter in, she runs back to tell everybody, Peter's, you know, been, he's here. He's at the gate. He's knocking at the gate. Isn't that awesome? He's been rescued. And, and Peter's still standing at the door knocking. Hello, can I come in? Uh, and, and so it's, a, it's a really a fun scene. Okay, I think I must have had more fun than you, but <laughs> it's really a fun scene. And here's something in verse 15 that I think is really powerful. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. <laughs> no, Peter can't be at the gate because we're praying for him. And we're praying fervently and earnestly for him, so how could he possibly be at the gate? Why else would we be praying? Because he's in prison and he's going to get executed and James and all of this has been going on. And, and why would I pray for somebody that, you know, is here with us? And you've got to be crazy, Rhoda. You're hearing things. You're, and, you know, if, and Peter keeps knocking at the door. Would somebody please let me in? He continues knocking, and when they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. 
But motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So they finally went to the gate and they let him in. And it says that they were amazed. Now, think about this because this is important for us. The part of the church in Jerusalem that was meeting at Mary's house, Mary, the mother of Mark, and they're praying earnestly. They're praying fervently. They're praying with all they have that, that God would do something, that he would rescue Peter. And then Peter's rescued, and they don't believe it. And it feels so much like me. Because I pray, and I want God to intervene. I want God to do something. But there's this part of me that says, is God really going to answer my prayers? Is God really going to do what I want him to do? Is he really going to meet that need? And, and so God is at work, and I'm praying, but I'm not really believing. And I think that's the tension that we all live in. And so here's the thing that I want us to walk away with this morning, is that when we're in that tension, we're living that tension of faith and doubt, of prayer in uh, believing, and prayer in doubting that, that what really matters is that we pray uh, because we're always going to have some kind of issue. We're always going to be wondering, God, how are you going to answer this prayer? Uh, the question isn't, God, are you going to answer? The question is always, God, how are you going to answer this prayer? And we continue to pray. We continue to come to the Lord even when we are not sure God allows us to bring our doubts, but what he says is, I don't want you to quit praying. I don't want you to give up praying. I want you to come to me. I want you to pray earnestly because I am listening. And so Peter comes to the door and they can't believe it. Wow, he's here. Well, yeah, what were you praying for? And sometimes that's our lives too, right? That God wants to answer our prayer, but we are so caught up in our stuff. We're still, you know, the, the, the early church, they were still grieving over the loss of James. And they weren't listening. They weren't expecting God to answer their prayer. But they were praying fervently. They were praying faithfully. And God calls us, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our questions, pray. Be faithful to pray. And that's what they did. Here's the other, one of the other troubling things about this story. And that is that God rescued Peter. Awesome. But he didn't rescue James. James gets one sentence in Acts 12, and the rest of the story is about Peter. And, and here's the thing. The, the one who delivered Peter could have also delivered James. And we don't know why. We don't know why God moves in certain ways. We don't know why God answers certain prayers and doesn't answer others. And we, we're assuming from this story that there probably was a, they were probably caught off guard, caught by surprise with James. But the truth is God could have rescued him. The God who rescued Peter could have rescued James. The one who delivered Peter could have delivered James. God doesn't always explain himself but he's infinitely wise and he loves us more than we can imagine and we learn to trust his wisdom and trust his love. He is infinitely more wise and loving than we are and life can never be completely understood in the process of its living. So we wait. We wait to know everything that God has for us. We wait to know everything that God knows 
because we trust him. The story finishes like this, and now when day came, there was no little disturbance. There was a lot of disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And when Herod searched for him, did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. There's a little bit more to the story, but I want to finish here that what can we take away from Acts 12 this morning? What can we take away from this? story. And here's the very first thing and I'd like you to consider this morning. And that is this, that our faith is built on our trust in Christ, not on our understanding. Our faith is built on our trust in Christ and not on his understanding. I was meeting with some friends the other day and talking about some of these kinds of things and the idea that the reminder came is that we believe in the resurrection. And if the resurrection is true, then all of the rest of this is true. And that God sent his son, that God loves me so much that he sent Jesus. And I trust in him, not in what I understand. I trust in his love and I trust in his wisdom, not always what I can make out of it, not always what I understand from it. And the second thing is this, that we're called to prayer. You know, it's a blessing to get to pray. And we can expect God to answer. We don't, can't always predict the answer. We can't always, um, you know, we, we can't make God answer in a certain way. He's God. We trust him. Our lives are submitted to him. But he calls us to prayer that our greatest tool, our greatest weapon, our greatest resource is our connection uh, with the Lord. And he calls us to strengthen that through prayer. And that's why we always say that the very first thing that prayer changes is the one who prays. It's not always about getting the answer that you expect. It's about what God does in your heart and in your life when we're in connection with him when we call on him. And finally, this part, that God has promised to loose the chains that bind our lives. Uh, he's promised to break those chains loose, and then he calls us to receive his freedom. So here's the picture for us, all right? What if, what if Peter had been released from those chains that night and nobody had ever opened the door? Nobody had ever welcomed him in. I'm sure in the back of his mind there was the idea that somebody was gonna, uh, somebody was gonna notice that he was gone at some point and come looking for him. Well, part of our lives is, is that God looses the chains that bind us in our lives. He forgives our sin. He forgives our fear. He forgives our doubts. He forgives all of those things. And then he says, now I want you to open the door. I want you to let me in. I want you to receive the freedom that you have in me. And that's the hard part for us sometimes. I, I talk about it that we're often really good at confession. We're just horrible at receiving forgiveness sometimes. But God has loosed the chains in our lives. He set us free, and he wants us to be free. Psalm uh, 24, 7 to uh, 10 says this, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, the king of glory, may, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this? This, this was, actually, um, was actually a hymn uh, that was used in the early church, and so the, the leader would read the first part, and then the congregation would read the second part. So it would say, lift up your 
your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then all the congregation would say, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And then the reader would say, Lift up your heads, O gates, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Lift up your heads and let the king of glory come in. Your chains are gone your heart set free, open the door and receive that forgiveness. John 8, 36 says this, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Real freedom, the only true freedom comes from being in Jesus, from knowing him. Here's the last thing. I, I joke with you guys, sometimes I tell you that when I, um, that I've only had one addiction in my life, and that was the addiction to being liked. And um, so if you're in ministry, it helps if people like you, seriously. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it helps if people like you, if they trust you. And so this is a, um, you know, there's a, uh, this is a trap for us, that, that we wanna be liked, that we wanna be appreciated, that we, all of those things, we wanna be trusted. Um, and, and, you know, and I also told you this old saying that, you know, that we serve Christ and it looks good to serve Christ and you're serving yourself, right? Serve Christ, it looks good to serve Christ. Next thing you know, you're serving yourself. You're serving so that it, because it looks good, not because you're serving Jesus. And so what happens to guys like me is, is that, that, you know, you want to be liked, you want to do a good job, you want people to respond, uh, all of those things. And, and, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, that really feels good when people like you and the next thing you know without realizing it, you're living so that people like you, not because of how you started this whole thing with to honor Jesus and to lift him up and to love him. All of a sudden it starts to shift on you and it's about how people respond to you and how people like you and, and it becomes changed because then it makes it hard to speak the truth because what if they don't like the truth and, and, it, and it's hard to challenge people because what if they don't wanna be challenged? What if they don't like me after I read this passage? I, gotta, you know, I better pick another passage, you know? What am I gonna do with this? And, and you start finding yourself bound up and chained because you uh, want to be liked and you're serving yourself. And I found early on in my ministry that, that that was what was happening to me and that that was a chain that the Lord needed to release in my life so that I could be free just to serve him, to lift him up. And I couldn't be responsible always for how everybody took it or whether or not I was liked or any of those things, but I had to be responsible for who I was in Christ and, and what he'd called me to do. And that kind of freedom changes everything in our lives and our ministry. So this morning, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the chains might be in your life, but here's what I can tell you, that Jesus wants to loose those chains. And he wants you to come through the door in your relationship with him because who Christ makes free is free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your word and thank you for this story um, with Peter. Lord, it, it, there's so much in this and it's so big and important for us. And, and so Lord, somewhere in there, I pray that, that, that you've spoken to each of our hearts and, and challenged us. Um, Lord, how we pray, uh, how we trust you. Uh, Lord, the chains in our own lives. So Lord, simply ask that you would use your word in our hearts. Lord, that we might live in freedom because of who you are.
Uh, Lord, not freedom out of rebellion or not freedom out of, you know, being an individual, but Lord, freedom because we belong to you because you've loosed the chains of sin in our lives. And Lord, that we might walk through the door, uh, that we might open the door of our lives and allow you to be in relationship with us. So Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we love you. We give you all of the glory and all the honor and all the praise for this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. My prayer uh, this morning for us is that we would recognize that Christ has loosed the chains of sin in our lives, that we would uh, open the door, we would allow him in, that we might experience the freedom that he promises us. Let me pray a blessing over you. Heavenly Father, thank you now. I pray a blessing over my friends. I pray, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would keep them. Uh, Lord, that you would make your freedom a reality in their life. Uh, where there are chains, we loose those chains in the name of Jesus that, we offer, that you offer, that we accept your freedom this morning. Uh, Lord, that we walk and we live in your grace and in your freedom. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. Have a great day.